Today we want to look at our need for purpose. And we begin with question 153. When have you felt like a hamster on a wheel? <laughs> Anybody ever feel like a hamster on a wheel? Yeah. Just turning and turning and turning. Spinning and going nowhere, right? Okay, let's look at what Bible Meets Life has to say about that. Someone read that, please. I'm so busy. We hear that a lot, don't we? Some people say it with a sigh, but they may also betray a hint of pride. Being busy is a badge of honor in our society. It could be a way to convince ourselves we are significant and important. It also can present a problem. Why? Because busyness does not equal productivity. The truth is that we never find ultimate purpose in what we do. Purpose is more personal. Finding purpose is about knowing a person and allowing him to shape our lives. Real life, deep, meaningful, satisfying life, comes from connecting to Jesus and allowing his life to flow through ours. On the surface, that may sound syrupy and spiritual, completely out of touch with the rough and tumble daily life of the real world. But Jesus made the concept very practical, and he did it by talking about a vineyard. Okay, so the setting here uh, for this particular session that we are looking at uh, is similar to the previous one we did last, last Lord's Day. Jesus' final night on earth with his disciples. And uh, he was relying on the necessary truths that he had already communicated to him, uh, to them. Uh, and uh, they were unsuspecting of what was about to happen. And so he was trying to get them up to speed on, have them to be prepared on what was going to happen with two particular distinctions. It was now somewhat later in the evening, the location had shifted out of the upper room, as we see in uh, chapter 1431. Perhaps Jesus and the disciples were making their way to the Mount of Olives or Gethsemane. Perhaps they had already arrived. Perhaps they had stopped along the way somewhere as a refresher. But that's the setting that we're going to be looking at as we go into John chapter 15. Uh, this morning, the point of the whole lesson, top of the page 54, Jesus is the vine who does what? Empowers us. To do what? To live productive lives Productive lives for ourselves? Productive lives for God. You know, we live in a world where it's all for me, baby. Isn't that so? And we see that's going on right now with this whole referendum thing. All right? But we are called, we are empowered by God to live productive lives for God. Okay, let's look at the, uh, what the Bible has to say. Um, passage, John 15, page 55. Uh, we can have someone read the first three verses, please. I am the true one. And my father is the one who really has people. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. 
Okay, now look at question number two. That's a familiar question, right? Isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> because we have that same question in every session. Now, what is this question? What does this I am statement teach us about Jesus' nature and char character? This particular statement. He is complete. He Not is. Okay, he is complete. Anybody else? As you read these verses, what is these, what is the I am statement here uh, convey about his nature and character? Other than he is being complete. Huh? He is the vine, we get our spiritual growth. Okay, he is the vine, we get our spiritual or for sustenance from him, right? He is our source of life. Okay, he is the source of life. Unattached to the vine, what would happen? You die, right? Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page 56. If you can have someone read that, please. Only hours before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus made his seventh I Am statement. By calling himself the true vine, Jesus established himself as the source of all that flows from him to his followers. Since he is the source of life for every branch, his followers, it is critical that the branches are vitally and solidly connected to him. Jesus announced the vineyard keeper, God, would remove every branch that doesn't produce fruit, meaning visible evidence of a living connection to the vine. People who falsely claim to be followers of Jesus are unmasked by their lack of spiritual fruit. As a result of their counterfeit faith, God removes them from their pseudo-relationship pseudo with Christ. It all comes down to a matter of spiritual fruit. But what kind of fruit is this? Number one, some people equate fruit with evangelistic success, meaning how many people you need to faith in Jesus. Number two, some people connect fruit of acts of service, service meaning the ministry you do in the name of Jesus. Number three, some people insist fruit is about personal growth, the character of Jesus that God shapes you in, shapes in you. All of these views are correct. Life change must happen and continue to happen as proof of conversion. Yet, to bear fruit can mean leading people to Jesus, see John 4.36. Serving them in Jesus' name, Matthew 7.16-20. And developing the character of Christ, Galatians 5.22-23. God also prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Pruning apples to those applies to those who have proven the legitimacy of their faith. God continually works to produce spiritual fruit among Jesus' followers. God is unrelenting in shaping his people to be more and more like Jesus. Such pruning can be painful, but it's good. 
Change that brings us closer to Christ is always good. So ask yourself, am I changing to be more like Jesus? Progress, not perfection, is the goal. Okay. You can prune the apple tree, but not the apple, right? <laughs> okay. Okay, so during the Last Supper, seen in chapter 13, the group likely had partaken of the fruit of the vine. Jesus built on the, super ex- the supper experience by saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the vineyard keeper. The metaphor is instantly recognizable on two levels. One was the common, well-known rural life of the countryside. They were all familiar with that. These men had at least a general understanding of vines, vineyards, and those persons who attended to them. More importantly, though, the second level was religious. The analogy of Israel as a vineyard and God as the vineyard keeper was a common figure in Jewish uh, figure of Jewish prophets as well as Jewish poets and we'll see that in a number of passages in the scripture Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5 and 27 and, and Hosea 10 we see that picture over and over again and so Jesus called himself the true vine and this infers a vineyard and vine keepers that are not genuine. We already have met some of these people in John's Gospel, that is the false persons. Jesus emphasized that he is the true vine and God is the vine keeper. When he says that he means that the genuine Israel of God only in seedling form. Whatever grows from him in its maturity will be the genuine Israel of God. And so he's emphasizing that, listen, there's a distinction between me and all the others that you see around you. And you need to be able to detect and notice that distinction. Now we have an exercise on page 57, an activity. You see it? Did anybody do that? Nobody, right? (laughs) Well, let's look at it. Let's look at it. What steps will be taken to remain in Christ this week? Use the following acrostic to help identify specific ways you can focus on your relationship with Him. An example is provided to get you started. So we see abide. We see the word abide, right? A-B-I-D-E. And they provided one, uh, one example and uh, the B is for Bible. What other uh, words we can use to, uh, to uh, fill in the other letters? What about A? Always. Huh? Always. A? Always. Always, okay. And pray, P R A Y. That's right. A. Okay. Pray. Alright. I? Invest more time in the word and prayer each day. Okay. Praise Him. Alright, invest more time in the Bible each day. Praise. Pray, okay. Praise Him. Praise, praise. Praise, okay. Okay, what about D? Brenda says devoted. Devoted, okay. E? Be an example. Example, okay, okay, that's a good one. 
Okay. All right. All right. Notice uh, back to the paragraphs that we read. Look at the uh, final two paragraphs on page 56. It says, Jesus also prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. All right? So the, the emphasis there is growth, right? Such pruning can be painful. And that's when we start hollering, Oh Lord, why are you doing this? What's going on? Why me? Okay, because pruning can be painful. But it's good, right? A lot of times we go through experiences, and, and even though those experiences may be bad or difficult or painful, uh, they are intended to be good, right? So it is with the proning. Change that brings us closer to Christ is always good. Isn't that so? And of course, I'm sure all of us have been through it, at least have experienced that, right? So we can say amen to that, right? So ask yourself, am I changing to be more like Jesus? Good question to ask on a daily basis. Not only am I changing, but how am I changing to be more like Jesus? Progress, not perfection, is the goal. Now, a lot of times people focus on perfection, right? They look at another person and see how well they're doing, and they want to they follow that person's perfection. But the goal is not perfection. The goal is progress. And while we can look at others to see how they're doing, we do not measure our development based on perfection. But by the fact that we are moving, we are going, we're going, and we're going somewhere, we're in motion. Progress. Okay, the next passage on page 55, uh, verses 4 to 7. Remain in me, and I in me. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much food, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and is with and eat in it. They give them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Seven? Seven, yeah. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Okay, let's go over to page 58 and look at the paragraphs there and see what, it, what that has to say. <clears throat> Someone want to read that, please? Jesus used one word repeatedly in this message, remain. In fact, he used it ten times throughout John 15, 4, 10. Jesus wanted to emphasize the mutual interweaving of his life with the lives of his followers. To remain in this context carries the idea of personal intimate residence. Jesus emphasized that his followers must abide in him and he in them. The intricacy and interconnectedness of the relationship between Jesus and his followers is difficult to express and impossible to overstate. Jesus also included a warning. 
If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. If half-hearted believers fail to live in Jesus and produce fruit, not only will they be removed, they will face destruction. In stark contrast to the calamity awaiting false believers, true believers have fantastic privileges, including unlimited access to God in prayer. Jesus promised, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. When you remain in Christ, your thoughts are saturated with the mind of Jesus. Your heart beats with the compassion of Jesus, and you and your and your will bows to the Lordship of Jesus. All of which changes your prayers. Rather than praying a laundry list of self-serving demand, the believer who remains in Jesus will pray like Jesus prays. Humble your, number one, humble yourself. Number two, meditate on God's word. Number three, consider what Jesus would pray in your situation. Number four, then go ahead, pray boldly. You can trust you'll receive God's best answer in his good time. Okay, now notice the first paragraph. Go back to the first paragraph on that page. Jesus used one word repeatedly in this passage. Remain. 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 And it says, he used it ten times throughout John 15, verses 4 to 10. What did he want to do? He wanted to emphasize the mutual interweaving of his life with the lives of who? With the lives of us, his followers. Right? And so that word ought to continue to ring in our hearts and our minds. Remain, remain, remain. Question number three. What does remaining in Christ look like in our daily lives? Well, prayer for me because I'm connected by the prayer and studying the word, then I find that I'm connected. But if I go like a day or two and I don't read the Bible or pray, I feel a disconnect. Okay. Okay, there's a feeling of disconnect when we don't. Anybody else? Those whose mind is stayed on him. Okay. Anyone else? So we see the importance of remaining, right? Because it impacts our daily lives. Every day that we go through all of our activities, and there are, there are a lot of distractions, things to distract us in our lives. And that's the job of Satan. His job is to distract us. His, his job is to take our minds off the Lord Jesus Christ so that we would not remain. And we need to keep that, that thought in mind. Uh, and he is very crafty at doing that. And sometimes we are not aware of the schemes that he uses. And so we need to be conscious in order to remain because he knows that if we don't remain, we are disconnected. And when we're disconnected from the source, we're in trouble. We need to remember, this doesn't mean we're lost. It just means that, like Michelle said, we're disconnected. Right, it doesn't mean lost. No. 
Okay, it means out of out of joint. Ever had a, a, a bone that was out of joint? Remember how painful that was? Associate that with being disconnected from Christ. Okay. One other thing that we notice, uh, verses 4 and 5. Again, Jesus said, remain in me. Basically, this translates into maintaining our relationship with him, as Michelle mentioned, on an ongoing basis. Don't allow any breaks in there. It says, give the devil an inch and he becomes a ruler. And that is so true. Human relationships need contact and conversation to thrive. We know that from our own experiences. And so, so do spiritual relationships. In spiritual life, contact is equivalent to reading God's word. Conversation is equivalent to prayer. Following Jesus, to remain in Jesus requires developing a lifestyle of immersion in God's word and prayer. Now, how many times have we heard Sister Brenda talk about the same God's word? Okay. Here we have, here we have it emphasized again. Staying in God's word. Immersion in God's word and prayer. Following Jesus would not only be easy for Jesus' own disciples. It should be on a constant basis. It should be easy for all of Jesus' disciples. Jesus, Jesus was going to, to the cross. During those dark days, this exhortation to remain in me would make his disciples strong in the difficult challenges that they had ahead of them. And the same thing applies to us. We all face difficult times and challenges. Remaining in Christ allows us to be able to deal with those difficulties and challenges because we know that we are still connected to the vine. Question number four on page 58. How would you summarize the commands and promises in these verses? How would you put these in your own words, in a nutshell? So he says, if you remain in me and my words in you, ask in anything and he'll give it to you. So we have to stay connected to him. And the promise is, is that he'll always be there for us, I guess. Amen. Okay, very good. Anybody else? Jesus. Huh? Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Good. Anyone else? Okay, let's go back to the paragraph on page 58. Notice some points there that was made. Uh, the fifth paragraph on page 58. Notice what it says. It says, when you remain in Christ, your thoughts are saturated with the mind of Christ. As Bernie said just now, being like Jesus. Your heart beats with the compassion of Jesus. Isn't that what we need in the world today? We need the compassionate heart of Jesus. As we look at the world and the state some people are in today, we need that, don't we? Okay, so your hearts beat with the compassion of Jesus and your will bows to the Lordship of Jesus. All of which changes your prayers. So when all that happens, we begin to realize that you're praying differently. Rather than praying a laundry list of self-serving demands, we call it the gimmies, 
Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. Lord, give me this. All right? That's a laundry list of self-serving demands. So instead of uh, praying a laundry list of self-serving demands, the believer who remains in Jesus will pray like Jesus prays. Boy, wouldn't that be fantastic to pray like Jesus prays? Notice how he prays. Humble yourself. Number one. Number two, meditate on God's word. Number three, consider what Jesus would pray in your situation. Now that would be interesting, wouldn't it? You get in a situation and you wonder, I wonder how Jesus would pray in a situation like this. And then go ahead and pray boldly. So you can trust you receive God's best answer, but notice, in His good time. Now that's a problem, isn't it? Yeah. It is a problem, right? Yeah. Why? It might be what you want, and it might be in the time frame. <laughs> exactly. We want it, and we want it now. And we want it the way we said we want it, too. Oh, right. We, we already have a, a preconceived notions in our minds of how we want it. And we want God to be able to meet that to the strictest, in the strictest way. Oh, Brother Bradley, the last two years, <laughs> I have learned that, and I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. In his time. In his time, and in his way. Yeah. Okay, so notice, it's, uh, you receive God's best answer. So whatever answer you get is God's best. He's not going to give you second best. It's going to be his best answer, and it's going to be in his own, and notice it says, good time. Sometimes you say, oh, any old time will do. No, it's in God's good time. God's timing is always perfect, isn't it? Always perfect. I can remember that he knows the beginning from the end, so you don't know why he did a certain thing. Maybe for years later, you might realize that that's why he gave you that particular Yeah, you look back years later and say, oh, that's why he did it that way. Well, that's why he waited so long. Okay, let's conclude with John 15, 8. We'll see a simple statement from Jesus that has powerful implications for all of his followers. Just that one verse, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. How is God glorified here? According to this verse? That you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Okay, now do, do two things, right? You produce good, much fruit, a lot of fruit, and you prove. Now isn't that something that the world is looking for today? Christians to prove how much they are disciples of God? Okay, paragraphs on page 59. Bringing glory to God is the goal for every believer. To glorify God means to make His name famous. Change in you will point to someone beyond you, to God. 
Purpose is found when you step off the ugly treadmill of duty-bound religious busyness and get on the slow but sure track toward bearing fruit for Christ. Commit yourself to Jesus for strength to tackle day-to-day living. Allow His grace to flow through you. Dwell in His love. When you do these things, your effort to serve and grow will flow freely, and you will bear much fruit for Him. A life of Christ is a productive life. It's a life with purpose. Okay, so we see those two uh, emphasis there expressed again. You glorify God when you produce much fruit, and you glorify God when you prove to be my disciples. Let's keep those two thoughts in mind. Question number five. How can we work together to produce fruit? How can we work together to produce fruit? Some ideas. Huh? Listen, okay. Listen to one another. Love each other and be able to work together. Okay. Criticizing each other. All right. Very good. Anyone else? Accepting each other just as we are. Accepting one another as we are, as Christ accepts us, right? Very good. Okay, let's. uh, uh, What's that? Give me a man who says, this one thing I do, and not these 50 days, I double it. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's a good point. All right, a couple of things we want to mention out of uh, verses 8. Uh, three implications are clear in verses uh, 1 through 8, actually. The first is... The vine analogy is a call to growth. Okay, so we have an emphasis there where we are called to continue to grow. One cannot read these verses and derive any impression that a genuine relationship with Jesus is stagnant or stationary. You can't get that from these verses. You don't have that. I have that. (laughs) Okay? We just highlighted some points here that come out of uh, those verses. And so if you plant, if a plant does not grow, we immediately come to the conclusion that something is wrong, right? Why do we not immediately come to the the same conclusion about our relationships to Jesus? If we do not grow spiritually and naturally produce other disciples beyond ourselves, something is wrong with our remaining in Jesus. Wouldn't you say? Something is definitely wrong. If you are not getting the results that you're supposed to get by remaining in Jesus, wouldn't you say something is wrong? Something is wrong. That's the first point. Okay, the first point is divine analogy calls us to growth. The second one is the vine analogy is a call to Christian community. One cannot read these verses and conclude that discipleship is a private matter between God and me. You can't read these verses and get that. Following Jesus creates community. Or Jesus is not being followed. Simply put, any branch not joined into the vine dies. If 
you're not connected to the source of life, you die, right? Church is not an option. When a branch, that is you, is connected to the vine, it is in reality connected to the other branches as well. Okay, so when you're connected to the vine, you're connected to the community of other believers who are connected to that vine as well. Believers would do well to understand the importance of shared faith creating a shared life. Following Jesus is not a private spiritual journey, divorced from all other social connections. Met a fellow one time and we asked him about going to church. And he says, oh, me and Jesus got our own thing going. I don't have to go to church. <laughs> Being in the vine calls us to community as well. And then the third thing we notice about divine analogy is, is an invitation to salvation. The cataclysmic event of the cross would have destroyed the community of Jesus' followers if it was not for the true vine. But Jesus is the true vine, the real life. He rose from the dead. The resurrection is the only reality confronting the conscience of every human being, asking the provocative question, why would you look anywhere else for life than to the only one who rose from the grave? And why would you look anywhere else for the empowerment to live a productive life of God other than to the one who is the vine and the conduit of that power? It's a few things that come out of the vine analogy. Okay, the three things. It's a call to growth, it's a call to Christian community, and it's an invitation to salvation. All that comes out of the vine analogy. Okay, let's how, see how we can live this out uh, in our week ahead of us. Consider the following options, page 60. For actively remaining in Jesus the vine this week. Number one. Double down. Each day this week, spend twice as much time praying and reading God's word as you usually do. Take an active step to remain in Christ. Okay, that's pretty straightforward, right? Number two, say thanks. Consider one way God has changed you or used you in recent months. Write a thank you letter to God, giving him the glory for the fruit in your life. Consider sharing your letter with those close to you. And number three, plan ahead. Review your monthly calendar and eliminate any activities that won't bring glory to God. Can we do that? Modify or replace other activities so that they can be done in Christ's power and bring glory to Him. Pretty much straightforward, right? Okay, so even our busiest day even on our busiest day, remember that Jesus alone is your source of, for purpose in this life. Choose to remain in him and allow his power to produce fruit for his glory. Not that others may praise you, but for his glory. Amen?